Welcome to episode 43 of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, the father, also known as Pastor Matt, also known as Matt Rawlings, and I am joined as always by my trusty co-host, Jackson the Sun, and only in Italian cinema can someone scream in terror at a shark but only be mildly disgruntled at an actual zombie. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, we'll talk about the acting. So we are a spoiler podcast. We spoil the movies we discuss, and this is part two of our tribute to the late, great Lucio Fulci, who would have been 93 next month as we record this in May of 2020. So, And today we are discussing a movie that is near and dear to many a horror fan's heart, and that is Zombie. Or, if you prefer, from 1979 or 1980, if you count wide release, Zombie 2. <laughs> So before we get into it, what have you been watching other than Fulci? Honestly, not much. Not much that I didn't talk about, at least in my Patreon and our Patreon bonus pod that we talked about the other day. But I did catch John Wick, which was live streaming for free on YouTube with Jamie Lee Curtis hosting it, which was. What? Yeah. Now, I think the reason she did it is because she named her dog John Wick. Um and okay. she was hosting it, and I guess she was just advocating for animal rights during it, but she would come in every once in a while to talk about the movie, which was great. I had to tune in to see that, um, and it just gave me an excuse to see John Wick. But I also saw Heathers on uh, The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob, which was, you know, that, that seeing that movie is always a real treat. Um, mm -hmm. And it was surprising to me that Joe Bob liked it as much as he did because— um, he tends to like stuff that's unintentionally comedy more than just straight up comedies. <laughs> so, um, you know, that, that was fun. Of course, uh, I talked about this in my Patreon, uh, and bonus pod with you, but I watched bunny, the killer thing at Greg Amortis's request and daybreaker. So that's been the entirety of my week. Pretty much school has just swamped me. Yeah, me too. I haven't been able to watch much. I watched a classic movie last night, not a horror movie, Ace in the Hole with Kirk Douglas by Billy Wilder, but that's a bit, that's about it this week. So let me ask you, had you seen Zombie 2 or Zombie Flesh Eaters or Zombie or whatever you want to call it, Voodoo or whatever, had you seen it before this week? Yeah, I had, though I didn't remember very much of it. Uh, I think I remembered most the first 30 minutes, and after that, it was kind of rediscovering the movie. Um, and the only reason I know I saw it all the way through is because I looked back and I saw that I had done a review for it on Letterboxd, but I think it was only, like, two sentences, and I gave it four stars. Now, I'm just going to say this now. My opinions on it have changed a little bit, um, but not how you might suspect. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about this movie. All right. Well, I watched it for like the umpteenth time. And this time for my three disc limited edition Blue Underground Blu-ray with an introduction by Guillermo del Toro and a commentary by author Troy uh, Howarth, who has written extensively on Fulci, including his book Splintered Visions, where you can, you can guess where he got that title from. Um, and the cover of my Blu-ray has a 3D image of the eye scene. So uh, it's so wonderful. But anyway... The uh, IMDb synopsis is, though I, I seriously doubt anybody listening to this hasn't seen it, but strangers searching for a young woman's missing father arrive at a tropical island where a doctor desperately seeks uh, the cause and cure of a recent epidemic of the undead. That's close enough. That's yeah. not bad for IMDb. Yeah, and it doesn't give too much away, so that's that's uh, always nice, because sometimes IMDb is like, this is how it ends, and I'm like, ah, come on. Yeah, or sometimes they're not even talking about the same movie, it seems like. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about this off-air, I just mentioned it, the title Zombie 2, um, that was not the original title. I think the original title was Island of the Dead. That would be uh, way or, more fitting. Or Voodoo Island. And so the title Zombie 2 was tagged on by the producers because they wanted to try and market it as a sequel to Dawn of the Dead, which had been a big hit. Mm -hmm. um, and because Dawn of the Dead was known as, in Europe, Zombie. Right. And it was produced by Dario Argento, that's Dawn of the Dead, who did the Italian-European uh, cut. This is where the bad blood between Argento and Fulci started here because Dario took the filmmakers to court over the title 
But Argento lost because the term zombie was in the public domain in Europe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. You had White Zombie, which is a public domain film from the 30s. Right. Yeah. So it just but that started some bad blood that, uh, you know, crept into the 1990s before they made up. Um, the film includes a number of nods to other films. Right. Did you catch any of them? Uh, I felt vaguely like it was a compilation of everything, kind of a melting pot of 70s and 60s cinema. But I didn't catch any overt references, but I wasn't looking for them. So I'd be interested to hear what you have. Well, like I said, so everyone knew that Argento was producing Romero's Dawn of the Dead, that Goblin was doing the score. um, And so it was a big deal in Italy. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew this was going to be a big deal. And so the producers went to go grab a zombie movie uh, to kind of, you know, really kind of cash in. Um, and so you had a lot of other stuff from the 70s and before that are thrown in there. Um, a lot of people talk about, and we'll talk more about this, uh, the shark scene, the zombie biting a shark. <laughs> yep. um, have you ever seen the James Bond movie, The Spy Who Loved Me, who came out two years before? No, I'm afraid not. The villain Jaws bites a shark underwater. Oh, great. So, and The Spy Who Loved Me was a huge hit. Then, of course, you have the opening shot of Mm -hmm. a sailboat drifting into the harbor of a healthy city carrying the dead, which was inspired by... Dracula? Yeah, Nosferatu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Nosferatu and Dracula. Yeah, absolutely. And also... Al Cleaver, who plays Brian Hall, one of the ship hands in Zombie 2, is wearing a T-shirt. Okay. The T-shirt, the biggest movie the year before this came out, was Superman with Christopher Reeves and Gene Hackman. Right. He's wearing a Daily Planet T-shirt. Oh, great. So So this this was basically, we get these references, please love us. Uh, Pretty much, yeah. It was, there's a lot of... uh, just real overt references to things that were going on in the cinema at the time. But so let's start this off. So I already mentioned you got the opening shot. Um, well, it's not the opening shot, but uh, mm-hmm. you can even argue that the opening shot is kind of James Bond-esque with the gun being to- you know, pointed at you. I was thinking Indiana Jones. I was thinking Raiders of the Lost Ark, how his face is kind of in shadow with the gun pointed at the screen. I, that's what it reminded me of, though I'll admit I haven't seen very many James Bond movies. Well, of course, Raiders of the Lost Ark came out two years later, right. and Spielberg uh, has some appreciation for Fulci, so maybe Raiders of the Lost Ark took it yeah, from Zombie. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, yeah. But um, anyway, it's so you have the opening shot where we find out Dr. Menard, is it actually, it's the opening shot, but it's the middle of the movie, right? It's a mm-hmm. flash forward kind of thing. Um, then we get the ship kind of, you know, kind of aimlessly wandering into New York Harbor. Those shots, even the helicopter shots, were done without permits. Hmm. Complete yeah. guerrilla filmmaking. Well, I mean, in the late 70s, you could get away, away with a lot more than you can now. <laughs> a lot more regulated, I guess. Well, the guy, I mean, the camera, Fulci was on the boat. Mm-hmm. He sent the cameraman to go rent a helicopter and just fly around. They rented the other boat. They hired one off-duty cop and one Italian actor to play the cops. And they just shot it in a few hours in New York Harbor and got out of there before anybody came asking, you know, what was going on. So, and then you have, of course, um, the zombie kind of pop out and, and tear into one of the uh, police officers. That, that uh, person, the zombie, was known as Captain Haggerty. He's the bald kind of obese zombie, which... Give them credit. You don't see a lot of overweight zombies in in these movies. Yeah, I guess the idea is that necrosis kind of eats away at the flesh. But um, what, now I have to ask, which of the cops was the real off-duty cop? Was it the one who gets bitten or is it the one yeah. that lowers the sail? The one who lowers the sail. Gotcha. That makes way more sense because they would have to get that cop to sit with that makeup on and stuff. So I can't imagine him signing up for that. Right. And that other cop, also, when they shoot the kind of autopsy of that cop after he gets bitten by the zombie, they're mm-hmm. shooting that in Italy. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes more sense. But actually, I thought it opened strong. Um, might be one of my favorite parts of the movie whenever uh, they're just watching the ship and they're like, we're going to get a big bonus for bringing this in. And it's obvious that they're not making it back <laughs> to shore. Right. Yeah. But the, the funny thing I read in the trivia was so 
the guy playing the zombie, who was known as Captain Haggerty, he's his main job. I guess he was a dog wrangler on sets. Uh, and they just talked him into doing this. Um, he walked into CBGB's in the Bowery. Mm-hmm. And this was when CBGB's was still like at its height in the late 70s when, you know, punk bands like the Ramones played there and Blondie played there and Talking Heads played there. And it was kind of notorious. Um, you know, they used to say that it took more guts to go into the bathroom at the CBGB's, you know, than it did to go into the worst part of New York City because it was just so notoriously dirty. So Captain Haggerty decides to go walk into CBGB for a beer in full makeup. And right. nobody blinked an eye. <laughs> yep. Yep. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, those those bathrooms are probably way dirtier than those zombies. I mean. Oh, oh. oh man. So you have the killing of the obese zombie. I agree with you. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a really strong opening. Then you shift to an office building, um, which is in New York City, the newspaper building. Mm-hmm. It actually belonged to Rupert Murdoch, who, of course, owns Fox. And again, they're shooting with no permits. I think they just told them they were there scouting to see if they wanted to rent it while they just started shooting. And that includes uh, Fulci's cameo as the newspaper editor. Um, and so they're shooting in there. Rupert Murdoch himself told him to get the blank out <laughs> when he figured out what was going on. I wonder if he saw the movie, because I, I don't think he would have approved even further at that point. No, 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 no. The guy who founded Fox News probably would not have approved but Mm -hmm. so we get those so we shift from new york to the dominican republic um what do you think do you you may said the opening was strong do you Mm -hmm. think it started to lose steam when we go to the island or or were you happy when we went to the island um my favorite parts of the movie were when we were in new york and my favorite part of the film i think overall is the very ending when you know, that big reveal was, um, given to us, but, um, I do like the island and I like the whole mystery going on there. What's going on with these voodoo zombies and the doctor and everything. Uh, my problem comes when, uh, our main crew get to the island and they interact with people there because I don't feel any, like, I don't feel interested during this time. It's not until the climax that I was really invested in the film again. Uh, I don't really feel attached to any of the characters, and I think that's a big problem with the movie because there's there's a lot of really dramatic scenes where one of the people are bitten or something like that. They're, they're in great danger, and I don't feel tense because they're not really characters. They're just vehicles for exposition and, and dialogue and stuff. So, um, you know... That coming from Dawn of the Dead, which had such great and endearing characters where you really felt the weight of when one of them died, right. this just feels like they're all kind of zombie fodder. So, yeah, it was it was hard for me to get invested in those scenes where they're on the island. But I, I think, honestly, they act better when they're when their characters are lying to the police in that scene when they're on the boat than when they're just oh, yeah. playing their regular characters, which I thought was really funny. Yeah, we'll talk about the cast here in a minute. But, you know, I kind of liked that they took it to uh, they weren't going to shoot in Haiti. So they shot in the Dominican Republic uh, with the exception of a scene we'll talk about in a minute, the shark scene, which they shot off of Cancun. But um, because they needed the clear water, I kind of like the fact that because the screenwriter said that, you know, he wanted to bring voodoo back into it Mm -hmm. because, of course, after Night of the Living Dead, you know, we, we, the voodoo's gone and he was a big fan of, of, and you brought it up, White Zombie. Mm-hmm. And so he wanted to take it back to that. And that I kind of liked. Yeah, I like that aspect, but that kind of messes up the, the lore of it. Is, is it a direct sequel? I guess it wasn't supposed to be, but it was marketed no. as a direct sequel. So it doesn't really make sense if in Dawn of the Dead it's some satellite or something, like they mentioned in Night of the Living Dead, but then it's voodoo later on and it's a very localized thing. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I do like the voodoo aspect of zombie. I mean, that's where they came from. The original term zombie refers to that voodoo slave. Um, and we see that in White Zombie, which really popularized it. But And, of course, spawned Rob Zombie's first band, right. uh, which I have to thank it for. But, um, yeah, I, I do think that was interesting, but... Uh, I don't the only part that annoys me is that it's marketed as a direct sequel when they're completely different creatures. I mean, they look different. They're created in a different way and there are different rules to them. Yeah, but 
we can't blame Fulci for that, right? Because he didn't know that. No, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely a problem with the producers at that point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he thinks he's shooting Voodoo Island or whatever. You know, he just, he thinks he's doing a straight zombie movie. And he was kind of looking for work because the psychic, which would have been his uh, Giallo from 1977, was a flop, even though I love the psychic. And I wish it was, it was widely available. I really, really like it. Uh, but it flopped. And so he kind of took this movie because he needed the work. Um, and he wasn't even the first choice. He was like the third choice as a director. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so we get, before we get into the cast, just continuing like with the scenes, you know, we get the couple, um, the investigative reporter, and, you know, we've got the, you know, the woman looking for her dad, and, and they mm-hmm. fly down to the Dominican Republic. They rent a boat. And so then they're on their way and they're getting close. And so then we get poor Aretta Gay, who decides to go topless scuba diving. Yep. Like you do. For uh, no reason. In a thong. In a thong. Uh, but I want to hold off on that next C just for a minute because I just, but that, I wanted to bring her up for, for a good reason. Um, our cast, real quick. Mm-hmm. Um our lead actress is Teresa Farrow or Tisa Farrow, sister of Mia Farrow. Huh. I did not uh, see that resemblance. Yep. That is Mia Farrow's sister. She didn't do a lot after this movie. Surprise, surprise. Um, she ended up driving a cab in New York City. Oh. Yeah. Um, we also have Ian McCullough as Peter West, investigative reporter. Um, he's a Scottish actor. He had uh, had some bit parts here and there. He was in four episodes of Doctor Who during the 1980s. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, everybody that had an accent was basically in Doctor Who during the <laughs> 70s and 80s. Uh, yeah. Um, and then we have uh, the boat crew played by the aforementioned Aretta Gay as Susan Barrett, who apparently I brought that scene up because she hated Fulci. They did not get along. And she only did five movies. Uh, Fulci hated her too. Um, he was upset with her for several reasons. One of which talking about that scene, she told the producer she could swim and scuba dive and she could not even swim. Great. (laughs) She was just trying to get that resume filled up and they had to take time out of the production schedule to teach her to swim and then teach her to scuba dive. She nearly drowned anyway. Um, and when apparently she begged off one scene and this is an expensive scene because as we'll talk about in a minute, there's a shark wrangler. Mm-hmm. Um, so she begs off a scene. She nearly drowns. She gets out. And when Fulci heard about it, which he was not filming the underwater stuff, um, right. the special effects guys were filming the underwater stuff. Fulci was on shore, but when he heard about it and they all got back, they found Fulci eating grass. Off the ground, not like weed eating grass off the ground. And they all asked what he was doing. And he responded in broken English while pointing at poor Miss Gay and said, I eat the grass or I eat you. <laughs> wow. So Fulci, the real zombie. <laughs> the biopic for him. Oh, man. Uh, the boat crew, you also have Al Cleaver as Brian Hall. He and Fulci did get along. They would, He would go on to be in Fulci's The Black Cat, The Beyond, and Murder Rock. But, you know, the cast, I can't say too much for, except for these two. And this is why I'm really curious. Because I'm pretty sure I know what your opinion is of most of the cast. Mm-hmm. But Richard Johnson as Dr. Menard mm-hmm. and his wife, uh, Olga Carlotas as Paola, um, I thought they were actually decent. Yeah, they're pretty good. I think that um, Dr. Menard is the best uh, and most interesting character in the film. And his wife, you know, obviously has one of the most iconic death scenes in oh. all of horror cinema. Um, and I do like when she's on screen and she knows exactly what's going on with this whole voodoo thing. But he's like, oh, you're just drinking too much. And I'm like, dude. <laughs> and then and then a scene later, we see him smoking and drinking, like right after he told her she was drinking too much. So uh, that's great. But um, yeah, I do like their dynamic. And, uh, you know, I, I think that she's obviously just there for zombie fodder, but she does a pretty good job. And they are the best in the movie because everybody else, even though. 
Um, I do like the reporter and the daughter of the of the guy who's missing. I do kind of like some of their exchanges. I think the charm wears away after a while and it's, you know, gets kind of dull. But uh, Dr. Menard is just as intense throughout the entire movie. I mean, his eyes are just always so intense. You feel like he's about to punch you or something. Um, And you also feel like you can't really trust him. He seems like a weasel. Uh, whenever he's telling mm-hmm. the crew about that, what happened to uh, her missing dad, he seems kind of like he's leaving some stuff out. But um, oh yeah, he's uh, well, he, doesn't he, he tell him to say, well, "Hey, go check on my wife." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> go check on my wife. And then they get there, and there's thirty zombies in there, and he's like, "How's my wife?" When they get back, and they just look at him, and he's like, "Well, yeah, she's dead." <laughs> yeah, he doesn't seem too broken up about it. Well, they didn't have the happiest of marriage. We see that. Um, yeah. But I, I think part of the problem with the cast, I think there are two problems. Mm-hmm. The first is that I don't think the screenplay gave him a lot to work with as far yeah. as characterization. Yeah, for sure. I did not think the writing in this was the strongest feature. Um, but a lot of it also has to do with the fact that some of them recorded their lines in English. They were dubbed in Italian, then dubbed back over in English. And that right. does not help matters at all because everything is just... It's, it's their their lips don't match even though they're actually saying English words, so it makes it look like the the audio is just unsynchronized. Um, and what I don't understand understand is why didn't they just take the original footage of them speaking in English and just add that into the American release? But I guess they they must have lost it or they didn't record audio on set or something like that, um, which would make sense. But yeah, I, the dialogue is is pretty wooden and stilted, with the exception of. Uh, the doctor and his wife, I think they have some good exchanges. And the doctor and, I don't remember the guy's name, but he's kind yeah. of his assistant. Uh, yeah. Both the lady who's his assistant and the local guy who's trying to keep all the people in the village calm down about the whole thing. Um, they're pretty good, but the, our main cast, unfortunately, is is pretty wooden. Yeah, but I also think part of it, I agree with you, I think that the dubbing and redubbing and all that, that's a problem. But I also think when they get to the island, especially just because I think Richard Johnson as Dr. Bernard Bernard is so strong mm-hmm. that I think they appear so weak. Yeah, it's kind of amateurish, but you got to, you know, kind of sympathize with them. They don't know how this movie is going to turn out. They don't know if this is going to be a big thing or something that nobody's ever going to see. And I don't think I would be very motivated unless I knew Fulci's earlier work. And I can't see uh, a Reddit Gay watching Fulci movies you know, in her free time. No, probably not. I mean, but, you know, uh, especially because at this point, he's still not known as a horror director. I mean, he's primarily known for doing Westerns and comedies. Right. And so who knows what she expected. But, but yeah, Richard Johnson had a pretty long and prestigious career. He died about five years ago in his 80s. But he had a long, especially theater career in Europe and so forth. He's, he's a pretty accomplished actor. Um, he, the, the woman who plays his wife, Olga uh, Carlottis, um, who I don't think she's given a name in the English version and the Italian, it's, it's Paolo. Um, she now practices law in, uh, the, in Bermuda. Um, but she did a number of uh, pretty high profile roles. She was in another mm-hmm. Fulci movie, Murder Rock, but she also played Prince's mom in Purple Rain. Yep. Purple Rain and Once Upon a Time in America, which yeah. astounded me that she's in that. Um, so, I mean, that, those two roles would be enough to set her apart, but it looks like she worked pretty consistently throughout the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think she earned it. I mean, I think she's a decent actress. So, mm-hmm. all right. So before we get back to the scenes, what do you think of the cinematography? Because I know a lot of horror fans say, okay, yeah, it, it's a little bit stronger in New York, but the cinematography is stronger when we get to the Island. Sure. Yeah, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that they were shooting without permits, so they just had kind of, they were like, okay, let's just shoot it on sticks, let's just do it here. But uh, yeah, there's some there's some pretty great shots in this, but I would say overall it's kind of uneven. Um, there's some really cool ideas. I think one is when um, the wife is attacked by the zombie. There's this really cool scene, you know, the, the camera pans away from her struggling at the door, and we just see the light from outside the door getting stronger mm-hmm. and stronger, and like, uh, consuming the shadows as it comes closer and closer. And I think that's a cool uh, shot. There's some really cool underwater shots. Oh, the, obviously, Fulci wasn't with them, but um, those stunt guys knew what they were doing with the underwater shots. Kind of reminded me of Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, it's pretty cool. But I would say that there are a lot of 
really bad shots, like really bad shot selections, just kind of poor. Um, especially, I think there's some parts where they're really, really close up shots and the dubbing is really bad. So that is kind of distracting. Um, but that's just falsy style. I mean, we talked about don't torture ducklings and that's, I mean, they've got all those dramatic zooms into faces. Not as much here. There, this is definitely not as giallo as right. uh, Don't Torture a Duckling, but um, you still have that classic Italian close-up and then wide, super wide shot of everybody, then close-up on another person talking. Um, but yeah, I do think the cinematography gets better, but as I explained, that's probably just because they didn't have as much of a time constraint. Yeah, I mean, they shot this in less than a month. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but I watching it today in a 4K scan for the first time, um, I thought it was beautiful. I, I was really impressed with the cinematography. Yeah, there wasn't it wasn't every shot, but there were a lot of shots I thought were really well done, especially for a low budget, quick shoot. I, I thought were pretty good. Sure. And I mean, it just thinking about what they had to do to get those shots, like with some of them, especially when they're driving and they're actually, it looks like they're actually driving um, in on the island. They're actually on location and driving through those muddy roads. They had to get, I guess they had a car in front of the other car driving on those muddy roads with the camera because it's not hooked to the car. So you just have to think about all this logistically, which I think only a filmmaker would do. All these weird shots, like them crashing the car uh, into the jungle and stuff like that. They did have to get pretty... Um, you know, they had to use a lot of ingenuity to get those shots. But I think from from a perspective of nowadays, it's not that impressive. Like you look at like a, a Blumhouse movie like Invisible Man and they do some pretty crazy stuff with this technology. But um, yeah, I mean, it is I would like to see it in 4K. I saw it on my computer screen. So that might have contributed to me not being blown away by the cinematography. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, it's Fulci. He's going to have some pretty shots. Yeah, I um, well, and he, I think he was used to dealing with that. You talk about, you know, that it's not the typical kind of setup where, you know, you have a um, a camera connected to the front of the car. And, you know, it's it, I can't see how they did that. That looked like they were following as well. But I think he's used to do that from Westerns. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, sure. When you're following somebody on horseback. Right. Um, but speaking of shots, let's talk about one of the most iconic ones. Let's talk about the shark scene. Tell me how you feel about the zombie versus tiger shark scene. Yeah, so I I kind of love it. I, I think I love it. <laughs> I was not expecting it at all. I was thinking, oh, okay, there's she goes underwater. She finds the, the zombie or whatever. Fine, zombie struggling with her underwater. I didn't think the shark would come back. Shark comes back, and then the zombie is biting pieces off the shark while they do a ballet dance underwater, basically. (laughs) And I'm just thinking, how much would you have to pay a guy to get into full zombie makeup and tattered clothes, get underwater, and then dance with a shark while pretending to bite pieces off of it? That must have been terrifying because you're running out of air and you're right up close with the shark that at any moment could take a piece out of you. Um, yeah, I, I don't think they could pay me enough to do that, but it did look pretty. And it, it, it's funny you should say that because they actually didn't pay a lot. And here's why. Um, the actor who was supposed to do it was a stuntman who was also a professional diver mm-hmm. and who was used to like holding his breath for several minutes at a time. Mm-hmm. Like he could just hold his breath for a minute and a half, two minutes, no problem. And so they they mapped it out where this guy would do it. The shark handler would be down there with him with another person with a air tank to give the guy air. Well, the guy who was supposed to do it got sick. <laughs> Great. So the shark wrangler got the makeup on and did it himself. Oh, man. <clears throat> and that was a real tiger shark. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's not really any way to fake it. It was flapping its gills and stuff. I knew it was real. Um, And just the thought of, yeah, we're going to put blood into the water, even if it's fake blood. We're going to put blood in the water while I'm hugging a shark. That seems like a stupid idea. Yeah, but they here's what they did. Um, Even though most people have noticed, and I especially noticed on 4K, it's an older shark that's lost a lot of teeth. <laughs> it oh, yeah, sure. It wasn't very intimidating when, when you see the close-up of the mouth and it's like snapping closed. It looks yeah. like an old grandpa. Yeah, also, they fed it like copiously right before the shot. Oh, gotcha. So he couldn't even eat him if he wanted to. No, and I don't know about the ethics here. 
they gave it a sedative as well. <laughs> Great. <laughs> well, then you still run the danger of losing the shark. I mean, that's a valuable asset to the movie. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I don't know what the ethics of yeah of of giving a shark a sedative, a trained shark. I didn't even know you could train a shark. But you'll notice that there's no uh, thing in the credits that says no animals were harmed in the making of this movie. <laughs> Uh, that's true. Um, so I mentioned that scene was inspired by the spy who loved me and it was actually the producers who insisted on it. Get this, get this for irony. Fulci thought that scene was too ridiculous. Fulci said that. <laughs> yes. The guy who was eating grass off the ground. <laughs> yes. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So they get to the Island, um, and then you have a scene, of course, it's a full cheese, so there's a lot of nudity. And so mm-hmm. you have poor Apollo taking a shower and you have her juxtaposed with a, you know, a rotted hand that comes up to the window by the shower. I'm not sure that was a good idea to put a window there. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, and so the zombie chases her inside. She thinks she's safe until he gets his hand through there. And then we get the eyeball scene. Mm -hmm. Now, first of all, before I ask about what you thought of it, uh, do you have a thing about eyeballs? Is that, is that a, is that a phobia? Uh, Yes and no. I mean, I am disturbed by eyeball trauma in movies, but I think everybody is to a certain extent. Um, I don't think I'm disturbed more than anybody else. That's not something that I have nightmares about Uh, though. This movie might've given me them. Uh, I think that the, the the eyeball scene is probably what got it on the video nasties list, if that was even a thing then, um, because it's pretty gross, and it's got explicit close-ups of the wood entering the eye, which I was not expecting. I thought we were going to get that front-on shot where the wood kind of obscures half her face, but nope, it, it goes a close-up profile shot of the wood breaking through her, her cornea. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty gross. Not uh, not not my favorite to look at, but it was brutal, and that's what it was supposed to be. Um, kind of reminded me of uh, Halloween and the scene in the closet, just because his hand is kind of through the closet and he's clawing around. Uh, and there was some eyeball trauma in that, that scene in Halloween as well with the coat hanger. But um, yeah, great scene. Uh, I was disturbed by it, but probably not more than anybody else. Okay. Did you notice the foreshadowing of it? Yeah, there was that scene whenever the doctor goes away and there is that zoom in on her eyes. Yes. Uh, I wasn't sure that was foreshadowing, but I yep. knew it was kind of out of place because we hadn't gotten a lot of those zooms thus far. So I was sure it would signify something like she was do- going to do something sinister or something sinister was going to happen to her. But it was only until after she was dead that it was like, oh, eyes. OK, gotcha. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty clever. Yeah, and then get this. Okay, so this is something I didn't know until I watched the commentary. <clears throat> I knew this was something that happened, you know, old, in older movies, in the golden age of films, that mm-hmm. almost everywhere you'd have an intermission. Sure. Uh, especially because in the old days you'd buy a double, you know, ticket to a double feature or something like that. So you're there for three, you know, to three and a half hours with the cartoons and all other kind of stuff. So they knew people's bladders could only take so much. People would want to go have a cigarette. So they, you know, they, they'd give an intermission. Well, at this time um, in Italy, still almost every film had an intermission. Mm-hmm. The intermission came right after that scene. <laughs> Great. Let people stew on that. <laughs> I think that's pretty brilliant, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Although that is probably the goriest. Well, I, w- I shouldn't say that because we do see the zombies feasting on her body later. But that's probably the most explicit gory scene in the movie. So um, it might be disappointing after that to have to sit for a while and then come back to it. But um, it is a, a good way to start conversations. Well, and and we'll talk about another one here in a second. But this was also one of those movies that was marketed in the grindhouse um, and drive-ins here with vomit bags, mm. free yeah. vomit bags, which I would love to have one. I even, after hearing that, looked on eBay for one, and I couldn't find one. That's a very castle thing to do. Like, this movie will scare you so much, you'll vomit. Yep. You know, like, sort of like that, the spooky skeletons will fall from the theaters. That's It's, it's a gimmick, but I, I would love to participate in one of those uh, marketing, like, schemes. Oh, yeah. And I mean, dude, when I say vomit bags, I'm not talking about generic. I mean, it had like 
the oh, movie branded? title. Yes. That's awesome. Now, wouldn't you love to have one of those? Yeah, I would love to have a Zombie 2 Flesh Eater uh, vomit bag in my collection. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, so we then get to, you know, the you've mentioned that they're feasting on poor Apollo. And, uh, and so they fight their way out. And, of course... There's a zombie who, you know, jumps, hit, takes one for the team. The, the <laughs> Jeep goes off the road. They end up in a cemetery of conquistadors. Mm-hmm. And you get what is considered one of the most iconic shots of that conquistador coming out of the grave. What did you think of that? Well, I didn't remember that part. And I was, you know, the poster is very iconic for that movie. Uh, and you get it. They fully deliver on that worm-eyed zombie coming out of the ground, uh, which I was I was happy to uh, see that. But he goes down pretty quick. But regardless, that is a really cool idea that even the older, you know, like remains, 400 years old, I think they say, even those can come back from the dead and uh, bite people. And that uh, conquistador zombie is pretty wicked looking with the, the worms and the mouth and the eyes and the blood just spurting everywhere. Ugh, it's very unsettling. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, of course, logically, you're going, wouldn't they be dust by now? But then, on the other hand, you're going, yeah, but there's a voodoo curse. And who writes yeah. the rules for voodoo curses, right? Um, and so then after that, we get the, um, uh, well, during that scene, we get another really brutal scene where a zombie basically rips out poor Aretta Gray Gay's trachea. Yep. And blood is spurting everywhere. Yeah, that was uh, pretty dis- pretty disturbing. And I was thinking during that scene, did they dress her in that white dress shirt just so that the blood stain could be so visible? <laughs> I, I think, think they so. might have. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, the one problem with 4K is, for some reason, they put the appliance on her neck before she was attacked, and you could see it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, uh, why would why would you just not cut? And uh, because they were in a hurry. But anyway, we still uh, get to I, see the the flesh being ripped off that latex flesh. It looks pretty cool. I mean, even still today, it's pretty gruesome. Yeah, and you get to see the zombie brains after he's hacked apart with a mm-hmm. crucifix. So, um, <clears throat> so then we get to you know we get to the siege scene at the quote unquote hospital. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the siege scene there? It's a pretty good climax, I think. Um, it's got multiple stages. I mean, they think they're safe for a while until people start getting bitten and then the zombies keep coming in. I mean, you really feel like this could be a safe house for them for a while. They clear the place of zombies out of the windows and stuff and they lock everything down. But then, of course, uh, I think it was his name, Matthias. They were talking about him earlier in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He raises from the dead and starts biting people. Of course, the doctor gets bitten and uh, eventually and I did not kind of- see that coming. The doctor getting bitten was pretty quick and out of nowhere. Yeah, and you expect him to at least last until the very end of the movie where he might die, but it's going to be big and climactic. But nope, he gets kind of a a pretty disturbing and and quick end. Um, But yeah, I mean, everything just kind of all hell breaks loose really quickly. The the whole place burns down and everybody's getting bitten. Uh, Pretty good climax, I would say. I think it's one of the highlights of the movie, though um, I think the reveal later is better. And let's get to that. You get the final scene of New York City. Of course, they, mm-hmm. you've got only, what, two of them escape. The, the, the first two, right? The couple from New York City. They escape. Well, if, well, the boat captain escapes, oh, too, that's right. he's zombified. Well, he's, yeah, he's bitten, right? We know he's a goner. Um, and so they're on the boat. Then they turn the radio on, and they get the bad news. I guess they were hoping for, you know, some... Yacht Rock or something, maybe some Doobie Brothers or something. Yeah, I was wondering, how close are they to the shore? Because they're like, let's just check the radio. And I'm like, aren't you in the middle of the ocean? (laughs) But I guess they're close enough to get something. We're, you know, we're close to Haiti. Let's see what they're playing. Mm -hmm. Um, See if they've got some Zeppelin going. Um, But then we fast forward to New York City. Mm -hmm. And you've got the zombies crossing the Brooklyn Bridge, you got the radio talking about they're putting up, you know, they're trying to basically lock down Manhattan. But at the same time, you can see traffic going, you know. Continue. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I justified that in my head. Okay. Um, I was like, yeah, why are they driving? But then I was thinking the majority of them are going out. Maybe they're trying to flee the city. And the okay. some, of them are, some of them are coming in maybe to go get family. And though it said that the people are locking stuff down, they might just check to see if you're human or bitten and let you go. So. Yes. Uh, that's what that's how I justified it, though. Logistically, it's probably just they couldn't shut down the road. So they just had to keep it in the shot. 
Um, but it is a really cool reveal to show that the cop that got bitten earlier basically started a huge, you know, apocalypse over there in uh, New York. I think that's cool that they think they're getting back to civilization and it's just as bad as the island when they get back. Or it could have been the obese zombie they just pretty much shot into the river and didn't shoot in the head. Sure. Maybe he just came out too. Yeah. Sure. So yeah, it's it's cool. I think I don't understand why they shot it the way they did. I think you could have shot it in a way to block out the traffic where you just had the the torsos and the heads of the zombies walking towards and you could see the like the twin towers when they were there and so forth. I yeah. don't think you needed that, but kind of like Land of the Dead. It, it would kind of they could have done it the way Land of the Dead did it, where you see them, you know, come out of the water or something like Carnival of Souls. Um, but I even though I justified it, yeah, it did take me out of the movie a little bit. Yeah. I think the reason they did that was just look at how many landmarks we can include and how wide and in, in scope this shot is and how epic it is. Though I think it would have been better the way you suggested, where it's kind of lower down to the ground rather than a crane shot. Yeah, and it was funny. It was one of the uh, extras who played one of the zombies made a comment on the IMDb page of Zombie 2. And he talked about working that day. And he said it was really frustrating. First of all, it was raining off and on. Mm-hmm. And so they needed to make sure that the makeup would not slide off. So the, what they did was they mixed it with ammonia. Ugh. So the, the fumes. Oh, yeah. The fumes were terrible. It made the extra sick. Um, and then they had to shoot it like 20 times because every time they think they got the shot, somebody from Brooklyn would jog or bicycle across the bridge. <laughs> oh, great. Right through the zombies without batting an eye. Mm hmm. I mean, it's New York, like you said. Anything goes. Hey, I saw a guy get stabbed the other week. You think this is something to me? It's nothing. Especially New York in the 70s. Um, yeah. And the guy said he was paid $40. He said all the extras were paid $40. And they were paid with two 20s that were stapled together to make right. sure they weren't overpaid. <laughs> Great. Well, what was forty dollars? What what's forty dollars back then now? Like adjusted for inflation? I don't I'd know. Imagine I imagine not know. enough. Oh no 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 no. Yeah, yeah. It's not a lot. It's not a lot. No. I mean, even even Eric Andre, just random people when he's filming outside, he'll give him a thousand dollars just then and there. So yeah, forty dollars is nothing. Yeah, I'll look it up. But uh, one of the things I wanted your opinion on, though, mm-hmm. because this is really divided horror fans. What did you think of the makeup for Zombie 2 compared to the makeup of Dawn of the Dead? I ask this because the makeup artist, Giannato De Rossi, who's famous in Europe, they told him to copy Tom Savini. Mm-hmm. Well, he saw apparently some stills or whatever from Dawn of the Dead. He said he wasn't impressed and decided to do his own thing. Sure. What do you think? Here's my stance on it. I think it looks good you know i some of the time at least some of the zombies it just kind of looks like they've got mud cake on their face the blood the blood looks good but the the flaky skin kind of looks weird and and daylight uh but i think at night they look really good especially when everything's burning down they've got like the flames lighting them up i think they look really good then and it does make more sense that they're not blue um, that they're mm-hmm. they're just regular skin pigment, but it's just all flaky and, and necrotic. Um, that does make sense. However, I think that the Dawn of the Dead zombie design is better just because it's more it stands out more and it's more iconic. I mean, you can think about the Dawn of the Dead zombie uh, in your head, just any of them, and it just pops in your head. Other than the Conquistador zombie and on the poster, they all just kind of look like people that are just decaying which makes sense i mean that's what they are they're just people under the control of voodoo who have been raised from the dead they're not some supernatural um otherworldly thing that is but um i mean i don't know i can see where he's coming from if you just see a still of this blue guy i mean it's supposed to be gray but it's blue and right modern light um it it would look unimpressive but i think you settle into that design that they had uh for dawn of the dead you know probably 20 minutes into the movie and i do prefer the day of the dead zombies to the dawn of the dead ones but yes but i still prefer dawn of the dead to this movie okay I, that's where i disagree with you i kind of think that de Rossi was right the blue in dawn of the dead is one of the only things in that movie that takes me out of it a bit and and savini himself has said he thought it was a mistake you know that 
But, you know, Romero tried to defend it by like, ah, oh, yeah, but he didn't want them to look so necrotic. He wanted them to right. look like just, he wanted them to look human enough. Mm-hmm. And so I get that, but I, yeah, I don't know. It just, it takes me out of it a little bit. And by the way, so the $40 for the extras today would be $142.21. Yeah, not bad, but not great, especially if you're sniffing ammonia, which might do serious damage to your brain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Giannato de Rossi, by the way, went on to do a number of uh, American films um, as a makeup artist. And he had done, I should mention, one of my favorite uh, movies from the 70s, The Living Dead of the Manchester Morgue, um, which is a great movie. But he would go on to do Conan the Destroyer, mm. uh, Dune for David Lynch, and Rambo 3, among others. So he, you know, he's he's earned some credits. He's still working today. Sweet. Yeah, I mean, he earned it. There are some really great effects, and knowing that they were working off a, a low budget, it is very impressive. And the only reason I, I say that I like the Dawn of the Dead design is that it's different. And that I think that if he were given more of a budget, he definitely could have made these zombies very distinctive. I just think all they had was that flaky skin effect, you know, ready. Um, but again, you know, Conquistador zombie, amazingly designed, one of the most iconic looks in any horror movie. Yeah. I like the one that's kind of wandering through town with that one shot that kind of sure. circles around him. I like that one too. But yeah. Now, here's something I really want your opinion on, because you're the musician, and mm -hmm. I haven't played regularly in 25 years. So what did you think of the score from Fabrio, uh, Fabrio Fritzi? Yeah, that's tough. Uh, I really like the opening credits theme. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, you know, it's got that sense kind of funky. It, it pumps you up. But I think the rest of the soundtrack kind of wears on you. <laughs> Um, especially, really? the, especially the ones where it's just kind of the screaming and like the, the rattling of the maracas and stuff. It's cool for the first couple scenes at the end, but you realize it's the same track over and over and over again for a lot of the zombie scenes. Now, where I do think it's really cool is at the end when the big reveal is and, and the kind of tribal music mixes with that synthwave music. I think that's really cool. Um, but overall, I would say out of all of the zombie films and this extended Romero franchise, I think day of the dead is just, it far outclasses all of the others. Okay. I always prefer Dawn of the Dead's uh, Goblin, Goblin soundtrack myself. Yeah, I but do that's... like the European soundtrack, but the American one, yeah, I yeah, think yeah, yeah. Day of the Dead. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the, the Goblin soundtrack that did for the Argento cut, I thought was excellent. Um, and they always I, good work. Even Demons, which, I mean, yeah. not my favorite uh, movie. It's not a, a Giallo. I was about to say Giallo, but not my favorite um, Italian horror film. But that soundtrack is just rocking, especially, you know, the motorcycle scene. But that's a whole other discussion. Yeah, absolutely. So what else do you want to talk about, buddy, when it comes to Zombie 2? Well, I, I don't know. I mean that the, all the dialogue in the movie just felt a little strange. I was writing notes while I was watching. And um, did you notice that whenever people were talking over each other, the sound kind of clips out when they're talking over each other? Yeah. I think that's the transfer on shutter though. Mm -hmm. I, I think that, that if you watched be a better transfer, I, I don't, I didn't notice that as much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that might be it. And I mean, they do a good job, but I think the, the audio is the biggest problem with Italian films on shutter because they don't give you the option to, well, I guess that might not exist with this film. You can't really watch it in Italian with subtitles because a lot of them are speaking English. But did you watch like a like a really good dub? Do you think it was good on your end? Because I think the dub for this version of the film was just okay. No, I think it's just okay, period. But I, you know, I would rather see it in Italian with subtitles myself. Yeah, definitely. And that's how I wish I had watched Don't Torture a Duckling. But I, I watch, even though I have Prime and it's on there, um, I watched it with the dub. So, yeah, I, did, I think that's definitely the way to go. And it, it took me out of it. So I'll, I'll have to find, I'm sure there's some way you can watch this with the Italian oh, sure. dub, the original dub, which I'm sure a lot more attention was given to the Italian dub than the American dub over the Italian dub. Uh, but, um, yeah, I'll have to track that down. It was very distracting to me. I think that's the reason I didn't really sympathize with a lot of the characters, because it felt like there was a disconnect between what they were saying, like the dialogue, and the characters themselves. It felt different. I don't know. Um, but I just didn't feel attached to them when they died. Like, um, even though it was a really, really cool kill, uh, whenever Aretta Gay is killed by the zombie and her throat is ripped out, I didn't feel distraught 
like uh, Al Cleaver did when he was holding her body. I didn't feel, you know, depressed or anything. And it wasn't a big reveal for me when she came back as a zombie later and bites uh, Al Cleaver, you know, leading to his eventual death. So I don't know. I wasn't that distraught by it. The two characters that I was attached to the most were the doctor and the investigative journalist because I think they were the best uh, acted. Uh, But again, I would love to hear their original performances. I want to hear them giving their performances because I think when you take that audio aspect away, it takes a little bit of their performance away as well. And I haven't tried it, but I just looked while you were talking um, because I have uh, my Blu-ray playing in the background on mute. Mm -hmm. And I looked up the audio and there is English, Italian and French with or without subtitles. Sweet. Yeah, I, I, I definitely would love to see this with Italian with subtitles because I think that would that's the way that Fulci intended it for people to see it. Yeah. Obviously, that he made it for his own people that way. So, um, And that's probably the way he preferred to watch it. So um, I would definitely love to see it that way and Don't Torture Duckling. But that was just a little bit of a disconnect. Apart from that, I think there are some really great ideas in this movie that with a higher budget could have been expanded on. I think if they had more, if they had permits to actually shoot New York, they could have had a lot of really interesting things. Like maybe just extend the ending by like five minutes to just show us the carnage that those zombies that we saw on the island could do in a city. Um, Show us this new Fulci zombie wrecking havoc in the city. I don't know what happens in... in, uh, uh the beyond or from beyond i keep mixing those two up i don't know are there zombies in those uh gates of hell movies yes and you will see soon so don't worry (laughs) all right sweet well i'm i just wanted to see fulci zombies in the city um and i wish there could have been a little bit more of that but obviously the budget constraints dictated that they stay mostly on the island and italy and just come to new york for the opening and uh the ending so if I were to give my overall thoughts on the film, I think it's entertaining, but it's not quite to the point of being a masterpiece. Um, there are hints at greatness. Like I said, the light from the door creeping into the dark uh, before the wife, the doctor's wife gets her eye impaled. That's a really yeah. great scene. The underwater zombie struggle with the diver, I think when she's got that coral and she's kind of scraping his face with it, that's really funny um, and ingenuitive. Uh, and then the ending with the zombies marching on New York very much gave me Land of the Dead vibes and Day of the Dead. Um, but I didn't feel attached to any of the characters. I thought the editing was a little wonky in some places, like the ordering of shots. Um, mm. With the doctor at the beginning, we see the, the scene at the beginning, and then we see it just again, just uncut this time. They didn't really do any other angles with it. It was just the same footage. Um, and then, if but, I mean, it's got great gore. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It's only 91 minutes long. Uh, and I think that it was satisfying for people who had just seen Dawn of the Dead to get another zombie movie so quick. Yeah, and you speak. You spoke of the editing. So this thing was they finished shooting in May. It was released in August. Oh wow! So they didn't have a lot of time to to yeah. really think about it. That makes a lot of sense. And when you have to develop film and cut actual film, it takes a lot longer. So I can definitely see why it feels just kind of stitched together. Like oh, whatever, put that there. Um, and I, again, if they had more time and even just like a thousand more dollars of budget, I think that this could have been elevated in quality, just that right amount to make it a bona fide classic. But I think right now it's just pure entertainment. There is some great gore, which will keep you entertained. Um, And though I don't feel attached to any of the characters, they are, they do serve the purpose of delivering exposition and a few moments of levity. So um, those, that, that's all my thoughts on it. I'm ready to rate it, um, but I'll let you give your final thoughts. Yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. I, I think if they known it was, because this ended up being a big hit. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think if they known it was going to be a hit, I think that they would have probably tried to throw more money at it and take more time. Uh, because it became a big hit in Europe. It became a big drive-in hit in the United States. It was a huge hit in Japan. Um, so, you know, I think if they'd known that, they would have absolutely taken a little more time with the score, with the editing. Um, you know, so I think they would have maybe get an actress who could actually act and swim. So, you know, <laughs> things like that. But <clears throat> uh, when I reviewed this on Letterboxd, 
I pointed to the bad and the ugly rather than the good. And there mm-hmm. is, and you've talked about it, um, with the exception of Richard Johnson as Dr. Menard and, and you know, Olga and, and so forth. There's, the acting's not great. Um, it does feel exactly like what it was, thrown together really quickly as a cash grab. Sure. But I think that with what they had to work with, I think it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I think it's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and after unwrapping my blue underground Blu-ray, I'm kicking it up from a 7.5, which was my original, to a solid 8. And I say you should, uh, you need to buy this. If you can find this blue underground Blu-ray, the three-disc set, it's worth it. Well, I definitely want to check out the Blu-ray with all the different um, dubs and stuff. Uh, and, you know, I watched this on Shutter just without subtitles, just with the original dub. Um, and I think probably if I were to dig into the extras and learn more about the behind the scenes, I might appreciate it more. And it always makes me excited about a movie more when I have a physical thing to look at and just, you know, uh, you know, look at the artwork while I'm watching it. But right now it's sitting at a 7 to a 7.5 out of 10. I call it a high priority rental. Um, so I'm pretty much where you were before this most recent review. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, before, I think the first time I reviewed it, I was a little more hot on it. But that might have just been because I watched it with somebody else. I think I gave it an 8 out of 10 then. Right now, I would call it technically a 7, but entertainment-wise a 7.5 out of 10. So um, you can average between those two. But I would definitely recommend you rent this or stream it. It's on Shudder. If you have Shudder, you can watch it through Prime as well. And uh, if you like it, I would recommend buying it. Yeah, absolutely. So, and the only reason I bought it, as fun as as this movie is, one one you hit on something. This is a great movie to watch with like a group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two, I bought it because there were just so many extras in it, and Blue Underground put so much into it. Um, so it's a collector's edition. That's one one of the reasons I picked it up. So, that's our review for Zombie Two or Zombie Flesh Eaters or Voodoo or Voodoo Island or whatever you want to call it. But before we get to our pick for next week. Folks, we have a Patreon page. Uh, We have added four over the last few weeks and just recorded a new episode exclusively for our Patreons uh, talking about horror movie posters. And so we'll be doing more of that. Um, Your support is appreciated. Help us uh, keep the lights on, so to speak. And we also want to say we send our um, thoughts and prayers to our buddy Shane the Maniac, Mm -hmm. whose mother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Um, and I, I know that that is a gut punch, but, uh, don't give up hope, buddy. I, I have known people who have recovered from it. In fact, there's, you know, I'm doing my PhD in new Testament and one of my favorite new Testament, um, authors and scholars was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, uh, five years ago. And he's still, he is in remission and he's still, uh, writing and and you know so he's he recovered and it, it's possible so don't give up hope but this was on the back of his mother-in-law's cancer uh, diagnosis as well so we're very sorry buddy but uh, be sure that I'm praying for you as well as uh, Wolfman Josh's family with his father-in-law we send you out the best yeah definitely Shane is one of the nicest people you can talk to on Twitter he's yep. always posting stuff about horror movies retweeting stuff um and I still remember uh, seeing all the different horror movie locations he visited and him posting oh, pictures yeah. and being so jealous. Um, but yeah, definitely one of the nicest guys, and we're praying for you. Um, he In his tweet, he said, uh, send good vibes, and we are definitely doing that. Absolutely. So, And for all the rest of you out there, social distance, stay safe, watch lots of horror movies, listen to a lot of podcasts like our buddies over at HMP, Horror Movie Podcast, Land of the Creeps, Terror on the Tube, Retro Movie Geek, and the Huh Podcast, all that kind of good stuff. Be sure to check out our, our website, uh, fatherandsonwatchhorror.com. We also have a Twitter page and an Instagram page and a closed Facebook page. So before I announce what we're, where we're going next week with our tribute to Fulci, where can they find you, buddy? Well, on Twitter, I'm at Kane underscore Hero 12. That's K-A-I-N-E underscore Hero 12. On Letterboxd, I'm at Kane Hero. That's one word. And you can find my YouTube channel linked in my bio on both those sites. All right. And they can find me as Pastor Matt R on Twitter and Letterboxd. So next week, we continue our tribute to Lucio Fulci with our third film in a row. And it's also a film that is available on Shudder. It is the 
beginning chapter of the Gates of Hell trilogy. It is City of the Living Dead. Oh, yeah. I'm excited to start this trilogy. I've heard so much about it. This was my first, you know, hearing about Fulci for the first time through HMP. So I'm so excited. Absolutely. So so that's where we're going next week. So please tune back in. And uh, so say goodbye to the good people. Goodbye, and rem- remember to remove the plank from your eye before you rebuke the speck in your brother. Thanks to Fulci, <laughs> that has two meanings now. <laughs> oh, nice. All right, so folks, until next time, remember that the family that watches horror movies together slays together.